Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast, Empowering Female Leaders, for women who want to thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Jane Hansen, an Emmy Award-winning television journalist and coach. She covered events ranging from the tragedy of 9-11 to the joy of Yankees' victory parades to Wall Street and Washington, has interviewed presidents, business magnates, prisoners, and celebrities. Jane has won nine Emmy Awards. In addition, she was named Correspondent of the Year by New York's police detectives and received a similar honor from New York's firefighters. As a seasoned TV anchor covering world events throughout the globe, Jane has spent over 30 years helping people learn to communicate better. Jane, I'm very pleased to have you here. Do you want to add a few words about yourself? Oh, well, I think you said plenty, but thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. And as a broadcast journalist, I've had a wonderful, wonderful career uh, watching history being made before my eyes. I think the thing that's really interesting about my transition from being a broadcast journalist to now being a communications coach is what I learned about communicating through the television screen, especially now when we're all using this method of talking and communicating. I mean, we're doing this via Zoom today, which we're all familiar with. Who knew that Zoom would become a verb as it has, right? So communication is essential to everything in our life, from our families to our other relationships, to our work, to our careers. I believe that it's at the heart and soul of everything we do. And that's why I love helping people get better at it. It's actually the interface between us and the others. It's the only interface that we basically have. Everything conveys through communication, be it verbal or nonverbal. And you said you have a, a focus on three core elements. You say it's about what you say, how you say it, and then also how your body language keeps it all in sync. How are these three elements related to each other? So those three elements are, they're all crucial because it's really what communication is. So you're not going to say when it gets to audience, you have to know who they are. And lots of people don't think about this. They'll have one message and they'll say the message the same way to every audience. And think about it. If you're talking to a two-year-old or if you're talking to a teenager Are you talking to a millennial? Are you talking to somebody in their 50s or 60s? You're going to have to say it differently. The underlying message might be the same, but you're going to use different words, different tones. You're going to use different lengths of time. So your audience is crucial. And it's also true in business. Are you speaking to the medical community? Are you speaking to a hip hop community? You have to be able to speak their language to make it resonate. I don't think people focus on audience as much as they should. And I hope that they take the time to learn who they're going to be before they do something like a meeting or a speech or just anything. Who's going to be at the dinner party that you're going to? Get a little information ahead of time so that you can have a really good rapport with them. And I think that's crucial and important to do. So the first thing is, who's my audience? What's their age? What's their 
gender, and in today's world, there's a lot of different kinds of genders out there. What might their geographical location be? What might their some of their beliefs be? I mean, you really want to, if you want to really resonate, you've got to think about all those things with your audience. So think about that first. Then you ask me about the how you say it, and that's about our body language too. So using our voice and then our body. And it's funny because if you use words, but you don't deliver them in a way that seems authentic and honest, it gives it away. It just belies everything. So if they don't match up, then you have a problem. So if I'm going to tell you some really bad news, like, oh, I'm going to fire you today. And you've got a big smile on your face. It's like, ah, <laughs> that's not going to work. So things have to be matched up. And that's really important to do. If you think about the way our bodies operate, it's innate. We have walked on earth for millions of years, but the truth is we didn't have a spoken language until 160,000 years ago. So before then we only communicated through our bodies. A little exercise for your listeners, turn on your television set and watch a program, but have the sound off. You're still gonna figure out what the storyline is because of the way people interact with their bodies. So it's just what we do and you cannot ignore it. You make instant judgments about people based upon the way they walk, by their posture, by the way they might hold their hand to shake it, by the way they look on a Zoom call. You make a judgment and they haven't opened their mouth. So that's, we communicate, we don't think about it. Thank you for sharing this insight. And before going deeper into the body language topic, because it's obviously an interesting one for the audience, just one comment from my side on your first insight, which you shared about the what. Actually, most people shape their message from their own perspective. Mm. The only person that is not listening to them is themselves. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> that is yeah. the best point. You're right. Exactly. We just read everybody shapes the message for the only person on earth. Who is not listening to it at the end because they're <laughs> and we're aware of that. We just do that naturally because somehow well, it's much easier to see our own perspective and to think mm -hmm. everybody else must have the same opinion or the same view on things. But actually, it's totally different. As you say, it's so much worth to look into the audience, even in your role at the office where you have to make a presentation to a team, just think about the different people in the room. What are they sensitive to? You know, are there people who love change? Are there people who hate change when you present a change project, for example? So these kind of adaptations. But what I, I'm really interested in, and I'm sure the audience is as well, because that is such a, well, let's say a difficult area to figure it out, is the whole area around body language. And as you say, our brains are made that way, that we just make an interpretation instantly because of this old brain in us, it's much more trained on body language than it will ever be probably on words. Mm -hmm. But True. on the other hand, we also have much less control around what our body language conveys. How can we move from a body language that is not congruent with what you're saying or with what we want to say to a body language that is a powerful body language that conveys the confidence that we have in our project? How can we move to something powerful? Getting back to that idea, and, and, and you just said it about, the per about perception, that the only person who's not listening to us is ourselves in a room. You have to start with what is my key message and how then am I going to get it across? 
So the key message that I'm always trying to get across is we want to make everything a conversation. We don't want to be, oh, today I'm going to be Jane, the speaker who's in front of an audience. And, oh, today I'm going to be the leader of the meeting. We want to be, I'm just Jane, who's going to be her authentic self coming to the table. So that's the start is you can't pretend like you're somebody else because your body will give you away. Like if you're going to try to be the greatest speaker in the world and you've never spoken before, it's not going to work. You have to be this person who is maybe you're a little anxious. So you do some breathing to get yourself into a good place. Also, you craft your message to fit the audience. And the moment that this starts to resonate, your self-confidence goes up. You start to believe more in yourself. But that means you got to do a lot of prep work to get there. So the prep work is what really matters. And that prep work gets back to who am I talking to and what do I want to make sure they take away from this? And if they're of a completely different point of view, how am I going to persuade them? So that that's where it starts is with the prep. And then you think to yourself, now, this part of the message is perhaps very serious. So I have to deliver it in a way that displays that. I have to show it with my body, like leaning in, for example, even on a Zoom, when you lean in, it displays that this is some part of the message that's really important. Taking a pause when you're saying something that's crucial to make sure that people hear it, sometimes even repeating it, that indicates this is important, folks. Eye contact, having really super good eye contact. Eyes, after all, are the, the gateway to the soul. If you have good eye contact, it means that you truly believe what you're saying. So we have to think about that. The words that we choose to use, the emphasis, our hands, our gestures, even if you're on a Zoom call like we are right now, or the multitude, the millions of them we do every day, you can still use your hands if you keep them below your torso. But gestures are a natural part of how we communicate. You can't take them away. If somebody stands on a stage and has their hands in their pockets, you're focused on how rigid their body is and how uncomfortable they appear rather than listening to what they say. So body language becomes imperative. And I liken it to thinking about having a conversation with your best friend or your favorite aunt or uncle or somebody that you really trust, because that's the key word. You want the audience to trust you. That's the key to authenticity as well, because then your natural self and not the businesswoman that you want to be or how you want to appear in front of a specific audience. And that takes away a lot of energy when you start playing a role. Absolutely. That is so spot on. I think it's a fascinating topic because we all communicate all day long. Even if we say nothing, we communicate. Right. We, we communicate in our nothingness. Exactly. <laughs> And most of the time, yes, we are communicating in a way we are not aware of how we are doing that. How much are you working on the awareness with your clients when it comes to understanding, well, their strengths and also their weaknesses, their improvement areas in the way they communicate? I work with them. It's, it's key. It's key to success. I love an aha moment with my clients when they suddenly realize that maybe it's a fear that they've conquered 
or maybe they finally feel like they're truly being authentic. It takes bravery to be your own self in front of an audience because we're afraid to. I think sometimes we believe we're not good enough, but the true us is always good enough. And I, you know, I want people to remember that the reason they're running a meeting or they're making a speech or they're giving the presentation or they're heading up the Zoom call is because they're the expert. They're the person who's called upon to lead whatever that is. And we lose sight of that. Our perspective is, oh, am I good enough to be doing this? Oh, um, you know, I'm going to get anxious. But instead, you should be joyful that you get to share the information that you have, that you get to share your expertise. It's you're helping people along a path for some reason, be it to start some kind of a program, to make a great business decision, to impart some kind of wisdom that will help them to whatever it is, whatever reason you're there being the speaker, it's because you know something they don't. And the other thing is people, they'll stick to a script. Oh, I've got to read this script. We don't have to stick to a script because then you become unnatural and robotic. Have a few bullet points. And if you forget something, it doesn't matter because the people out there don't know you forgot it. So it's really important that you not only have the audience trust you, but you trust yourself. And that's, I think, key to the work that I do is I get people to trust themselves, particularly those who are going to go in front of the media and do interviews because they're so afraid they're going to say something wrong. And I'm like, seriously? You don't say things wrong. You know what you're talking about. You're an expert in this field. You're not going to screw up. You have to trust yourself in that moment. And I get back to what I I said before, which is you have to have great preparation. I love using the Winston Churchill quote, which is failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I really believe that. When people have to stand in front of the media, for example, I can imagine that many people really shy away from that because for many, it's already quite a challenge to stand in front of a bigger group at work and to present in a room. Then the next step is obviously to present in front of a camera that's filming. Uh -huh. I have interviewed so many executives in my role as a communications expert in the corporate world that so many lose it all. They yeah. are charismatic people when they are in face-to-face -face meetings or even in bigger meetings. But as soon as you, you put a camera onto their face, which today is so normal, they lose right. it. You know, they start like, oh, I need to say a text that I have learned by heart. It has to be perfect. Like you say, it is as if they were losing their expertise, whereas they are still the same experts. What do you do for people so that they can truly embrace this idea of themselves? Because I think rationally, it's easy to understand, but to embrace the fact that, yes, I am that expert. Yes, I can trust myself is a mental step that is not so easy to take when you are used to being very self-critical and never feeling enough. So I'm sure that you feel the same way about your clients, that you feel half the time like you're a psychiatrist, right? Because you're dealing with a lot of head things, things they've got in their own head. And what happens a lot of time is clients come to me after they've done a speech or an interview that they didn't perform very well. And they'll be very upset. It's interesting because maybe they'll have come to me beforehand and I'll tell them what it's going to take, blah, blah, blah. And And they'll say what it's going to take, what it's going to cost, in both in time and money. And, and they'll say, no, 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 not going to do it now. And then they'll go ahead and do whatever the presentation is or whatever the media interview is. 
and it won't turn out the way they liked it. And they immediately come running back. And if they would have just let me work with them ahead of time, they wouldn't have had that problem that in today's world is going to stick around forever, right? A bad interview is going to be out there someplace in, in the big wide internet. So what I do, I use a lot of video with my work. I video them and we play it back and we assess together what they've done right and where they could really take it up a notch. And that becomes imperative to the work because they see it themselves. I can tell them that they're scratching their nose during the whole interview or that they're twitching their face or that they're using stupid words, but they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the moment they see it, that's when the light goes on. So video becomes crucial to the work that I do so that they can really see it and imagine it and picture it and know what they want to do better. Then I do things with them because people are also afraid to be, they don't want to be dramatic or they don't want to be too much. But I've talked to a lot of some of the best speakers on the planet and I've observed a lot of them and I've read a lot about them. And to a person, they've had to learn to take risks in making their presentations or their speeches or during their interviews. So I do a little exercise with people, which is now I want you to be, I'm going to ask you the same questions, or I'm going to ask you to deliver this a part of this presentation, but I want you to be as overly dramatic and as out there as you can possibly be. I want you to feel so uncomfortable. You can barely stand it. So we do that. And then we look at the video and surprisingly the video always looks better than what they've been doing. And they're stunned because it makes them realize how much further they can take what they're doing without it looking foolish and that they have so much more inside of themselves to share. We're so afraid of being vulnerable. We're so afraid of letting our passion show. And yet we might be talking about a job that we've worked so hard to get to for 20 years or however long it's been, we pushed and pushed and pushed. And now we have a chance to put it on a stage and suddenly we're afraid to show how much we love it. Like what's wrong with that? So that's, I think that's where the work becomes really important. And sometimes you have to push people and push them and push them and push them. But when they get there, they are over the moon. And finally they get excited about it. Yeah. So they learn actually by watching themselves how they can be. Mm -hmm. Because you put them into a situation where they are able to be different and to let shine through this whole energy and passion that they have. Exactly. As they understand and see themselves then in the in the first video where they do it like they always have done it so far. Right. The other one where they thought, oh, this is certainly completely over the top. They realized that, well, this is much better actually than right. It's like, it's absolutely shell shocking for them. They go, what? It, uh, it doesn't look anything like it felt. I'm not suggesting that they do everything over dramatic. All I'm telling them is you can incorporate a lot more into what you're doing and make it be more effective. Because after all, would you rather listen to somebody deliver something like this and say, oh, let me tell you the most exciting news. We have a new project you're going to just love. Or would you rather hear, I can't wait to tell you about this project. It has been years in the making and we are so thrilled to bring it to you and you are going to love it. Which would you rather listen to? 
you know? Yeah, obviously. How do you deal with or how do people deal with the fact that some are extrovert? For them, it's certainly easier to do that. Some are very introvert. And often introverts are great experts. They have a wonderful expertise. And if you speak to them in one-on-ones, it's great. They can really shine. And as soon as they have to speak to more than five people, well, then they shy away from being themselves. And they become like you have just illustrated. They become very, very, very boring. And they right. think like, yeah, but I'm an introvert. So I can't get out of this natural way of being myself. How do you work with introverts? I really do some of the same methodology. It just takes longer, but it's about putting them on camera. And then one of the problems too, I find with introverts, because a lot of them, as you just mentioned, tend to be super smart people, brilliant at what they do. And one-on-one, -on -one, they're charming and they're so captivating. So I try to get that to come forth. So we do it on a gradual basis. And the more I can show them the video and then let them try things really slowly, it works. But also the other thing is there are a lot of great speakers out there that are by nature introverts. And they will say that at a party, they're the ones sitting in a corner. They don't do a lot of social things. They don't engage with people on a regular basis. And yet somehow when they get on stage, because if you get back to purpose, and that's key, if you get back to purpose, then they can talk about it. And I think everybody needs to do this. And by the way, it's a particular problem with women too. If you focus on purpose, it can take away fear. It can take away so much because now we all know that if we find a commitment to something, if we find a purpose for being, a purpose for doing something, all of a sudden we're so invested in that purpose that everything else falls away. So focusing on purpose with introverted people truly helps. They can get, they just become much more passionate and then that passion comes through. What have you seen particularly with women? What are particular challenges in communicating on the job? We don't trust ourselves as much as we should. We feel sometimes we have what we call imposter syndrome, where we believe that we're a fraud and we don't really deserve the accolades. We don't deserve the job and that somebody's going to catch up with us one day, which of course is complete baloney because it's not true because we've earned every ounce of it. Little anecdote, when there are women giving speeches in front of, of large groups of people and we'll see one person in the crowd who might be on their phone doing something we're like oh, i'm not i'm not relating i'm not resonating i'm giving i'm doing a terrible job and we just rattle off down this bad roadway of feeling like we're incompetent whereas a man giving a speech in front of a group of people thinks one of two things when he sees somebody on a phone think a it's oh, what an idiot missing the best presentation of his life or b I'm so good, they're tweeting about me. So the two perceptions are completely different. The truth is in the middle. In an audience, not every single person is going to be paying rapt attention 100% of the time, and that's okay. There's many things that I talk about, about re-engaging audiences, but if somebody's not paying attention, forget them. Flashback, see somebody else in the audience that is looking at you and shaking their head and nodding and, and get excited about that. So 
as women, we take things much more personally than we should. I have I've worked with so many women who are maybe they're the president of a company. They walk into the board of directors and at certain points in time, until recently, that has been a complete group of men. And they'll walk in and they say, I feel like the five-year-old walking into a kindergarten classroom for the first time. So we have an irrational, um, irrational fear when we are the first or when we are the only that suddenly we're not going to do the job that we know we can do every single day. And again, you have to get back to purpose, expertise. Why am I here? Why have I earned this? And let me take it on. And by the way, women, if we are interested in a new job, for example, we'll take a look at the prerequisites for the job. What are the criteria? And we'll say to ourselves, oh, I only match 70% of them. I'm not going to apply. Men, on the other hand, will go, oh, I got this. I got 70% of them. No big deal. So I think there's a perfectionism to us. I think there is a, we truly, we don't want to ever let anybody down. And we're so invested in pleasing people that we don't take care of ourselves and understand our own strength and worth. That's my opinion. And that's what I experience as well, a lot. And that makes us having always this kind of thunderstorm or chatter in our head. As you say, the phone example is so compelling. I really wonder now, who of you will think that the person is twittering about you? Who will really think that? Most will think what you said before, like what women often say, oh no, I'm not interesting enough anymore. And this is so interesting, the perspective, to make a clear distinction between the facts And the interpretation of the facts, because correct what we think, we think is the reality, whereas there can be totally different realities behind that. And the example with the person starting to type on the phone is a perfect example of that. And we make this assumption, you know, we make an interpretation that is negative for us because we always are somehow steered by a certain imposter syndrome, some very strongly, some maybe not that strongly, but there's still something in that. I think it's interesting to understand first what we think of ourselves in these crucial moments where we're so nervous to present. What thoughts are coming to your mind? Is this the truth or is it just your truth? And that's probably a gateway to opening up for something else. Oh, absolutely. It's the gateway to becoming a, a greater communicator and also, I think, to enhancing your own personal growth is to be able to recognize when you're spiraling down a place that's, that doesn't have truth to it. I mean, we keep getting back to the same words, trust, truth, passion, purpose, because that's really what great communication is in every part of your life. Is there one last little mental trick or something that you can share with us, you know, something that people imagine someone else they speak to when they're in front of an audience where they feel particularly uncomfortable with, for example, is there some of these little quick fixes that people can do? Well, there's, yes, there are. So when I was on television for all those years, I always imagined that on the other side of the television screen was my, my aunt Eunice. And why her? Because she was kind of my mentor as a kid. And she would always tell me when she thought I could improve something, but she also gave me great advice. And she'd always commend me when I did something well. So I would always pretend that I was talking to her so that I could picture one person. So you can picture a person. Also, if you're speaking to a large group of people, 
have a friend or two there that can be sitting where you can see them. So when you're going along and you start to freak out because somebody's on their phone, you see that person over there and they're nodding their head and they're shaking. They're giving you a big thumbs up. Then you're, you'll say, oh, I'm okay. Also breathing. I do breathing exercises before I make a big presentation. I breathe in for three counts. I hold it for three counts. I breathe out for three counts and I do it three times. What does that do? It slows my body down. I'm breathing into my diaphragm, which means that I'm now going to speak more deeply and deeper voices are more credible. So that really helps when I, you know, when I get out there. And then the third thing is you just got to believe in yourself. I tell people to do things like maybe a large exercise. By that, I mean, stretch your arms way up into the sky and take a big stance before you go out, walk out on a stage or even before you get on a Zoom call, because that frees you up a bit. I also suggest, for example, if you're going to make a presentation, Zoom calls. I, I did this yesterday. I get on the call a little early. So as people come on, I start to talk to them. And so I'm now I'm creating a little bit of a of a bond with them and just saying, Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. Welcome in a room. I will get there early and I'll meet some people before I actually make the presentation. Cause sometimes that'll give me an idea for how to start it a little differently. Maybe it's somebody's birthday. I'll say, Hey, so happy birthday to Joe over there. I just do something goofy that kind of sets the stage of making a connection. And I also believe in as you're getting ready, maybe playing some music that you love, that sets you on fire, that makes you happy, puts you in a great mood. So all these little things that will help set you up for success. That's what I love doing. Thank you very much. These were very practical tips that everybody can apply very easily. If they want to learn more about what you're doing, where can they find more information? They can come to my website, which is janehanson.com, H-A-N-S-O-N, or my email is jane at janehanson.com. Email me. I'd be happy to discuss any and all of this. I love talking about communicating better, and I love helping people get there because if we all do it, it'll be a better world. That's right, because all the misunderstandings will disappear and we will be much happier and much more engaged around the different topics that are so important for us. Thank exactly. you, Jane, for this really wonderful interview. I enjoyed very much speaking to you. Thank you. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. Keep up the great work. Do you want to get free access to my ebook, Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, all you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address, contact at ulrikaseminati.com, and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I am excited to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.